0: He's a trigger warning waiting to happen. Wild card bitches. This is the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Jim in for Adam Crowley again today. Josh Getzoff coming up to talk Penguins hockey later on. Also Mike DeCorsi with a very different view of the Love Bell situation than what I've got. And we're going to talk to Lance Lysowski about Pirates baseball. You know, Francisco Cervelli says that the new baseball pace and play rules are the most ridiculous thing he has ever heard. I the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard is that Francisco Cervelli is Pittsburgh's highest paid player. Louisville has to vacate his 2013 championship. We're gonna to talk to Mike DeCorsey about that too. Does that mean Michigan gets it? And if I can prove that Michigan cheated too, can Syracuse have it? Or do we have to reassemble the teams at the site of the old Georgia Dome and have a playoff against Wichita State? How does that happen exactly? Marlins manager Don Mattingly sniped at Bryce Harper because Harper made a crack about the Marlins and how they traded their whole outfield. Mattingly responded by saying, mind your own dugout back to Harper, and at that point Mattingly turned around to his dugout and saw that no one was left in it. That made it awkward. But unfortunately, in recent years, I've been, as we all have been, we've been introduced to the phrase, fake news. It's something Donald Trump says whenever a story comes out that either he doesn't like or he disagrees with. In fact, the phrase fake news in and of itself has, well, become fake because the way Trumpies now apply it, it in no way indicates either the validity of a news story or if the story itself is news. Because oftentimes Trumpies yell... Fake news, fake news, after hearing an opinion, not just news, just an opinion they don't like. For instance, You are fake news. Yes. For instance, I'm sure there are a lot of Trumpies today accusing the Trib of fake news after reading my column ripping Laura Ingram and Fox News that we talked about yesterday and I wrote today for the Trib. Well, that's not news, that's just my opinion. And there's nothing fake in it. It just happened, and that's how I feel. But, and my God, I hate to say this, but I'm at my boiling point over this Levy on Bell discussion because of fake news. You are fake news. As you know by now, today is the day when teams can start franchise tagging players. That's what I would do for Bell if I'm... Steeler, general manager Kevin Colbert. For reasons I've already stated and acknowledged, I get why people don't want to do that. They're mad at him about the New England tweets before the Jacks' playoff loss. Missing camp. Gets hurt too much. Suspended too much. Skip practice. He was late for the playoff game. Okay, I I get it. If that's your opinion, that's your opinion, but just so long as it stops there. The problem is that the anti-Lev Bell Steeler fans, and then that extends to some people in the media too, are disseminating, all together now, fake news. You are fake news. Let's go some of the truths, the falsehoods, the misconceptions, misinformation coming out from fans and media. Here's one I heard as recently as one thirty today across the street, that Lev Bell wants $50 million. Well, Well, of course he does, so do I. That's not how that number came out, though. That's not how that number emerged. In fact, it was the opposite. On the NFL Network, Lev Bell was asked if he'd take $50 million guaranteed, and his answer was, Pff, of course I would. In fact, he said it like that, of course I would. The same thing that I would have said if someone had said to me, hey, Tim, the Trib offered you $50 million guaranteed to write four columns a week. Would you do it? Of course I would. The follow-up question was, well, how about thirty? And Lev said, mm, I don't know. So the demand wasn't for 50 million guaranteed it wasn't even a formal request for 50 million guaranteed and there wasn't a follow up of well then how about 40 then I remember the Steelers were willing to have their name on a piece of paper for him at 42 million roughly over 3 years but the guarantee language wasn't to Bell's liking so it's not 50 million or bust from Bell in fact he said at the Pro Bowl that he'd probably give a little so fake news, news. fake news Here's some more fake news. Bell will cost too much if the franchise tag is put on him or if they sign him long-term. Someday, yes, long-term. If they never adjust or tweak his contract, yes. Four years down the road, Bell will cost too much. But frankly, you can say that's the case for Ben Roethlisberger four years from now or Antonio Brown. They renegotiate deals all the time. Fake news. Fake news. And on the franchise tag this year, Bell is likely to make... $14.544 $14.544 million. That's only $2.4 million more than what he made last year. As of now, the Steelers are still $6 million under the cap. If they get Bell in the franchise, they'll be around $7 million over. But they release Mike Mitchell. That saves them like five to six and a half, somewhere in that neck of the woods, depending on when. And they can still lower Ben's cap number whenever they work out his new extension. They can rework AB's deal. They can rework a deal that they've got on the books for Joe Hayden. I mean, last year, knowing that Bell may still have to play on the twelve point one million dollar tag come September, the Steelers still made an offer to Dante Hightower, and they eventually signed Joe Hayden, knowing that Hayden would make eleven million this year with Bell's status still in question, but working for a long-term deal. Plus, they have Harrison Ladarius Green coming off the books. They could even trade or release Ramon Foster and start B.J. Finney if they really needed to, but I don't think they will. But they could. But it doesn't come to that, but it could. So, Lev Bell, too expensive? Fake news. Fake news. Here's another one. Franchise him and let someone, off, someone else take him off your hands for two picks. Fake news! Fake news. No, 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 no. No number one pick is coming your way. No pair of number one picks will come your way for Lev Bell. Like That almost never happens. And no one is going to give that up when they can... Get them on the open market next year. Also, if no one does that, then you have to live with the franchise tag. And if you can't afford the franchise tag, which they can, then you'd be stuck. And this has become my favorite point. Bell's numbers were down over 15 games last year as opposed to 12. Fake news. Fake news. Okay, this one technically is true. His numbers were slightly better overall this year versus last but he played three more games so his critics are right on average his numbers were down here's the thing though here's where stats become fake news when we ignore why the statistics have become what they are critics of bell spent the first three weeks of the season crushing him for missing camp right and blaming his slow start on missing camp assigning the reason for his slow start to his absence because Damn it. When I was at Polk High with Al Bundy, we practiced three times a day, and I never missed a day of practice, let alone all of camp. Hmm give me another hip and an iron. So okay, he stunk the first three games because he missed camp. How'd he do after that? How'd he do in twelve games versus twelve games? The twelve games he played in twenty sixteen versus the last twelve games of his regular season this year. How do those numbers compare? They were virtually identical. That's how they compare. His receiving totals were exactly 17 yards difference, and his rushing totals were 157 yards difference. 120, sorry, 1268 versus 111, or 1111. So 1,268 yards versus um, 1,111 yards. So basically, he had one extra big game. And that game was the Baltimore game at the end of last year, when the Steelers needed him to play, and he had 122 yards against the Ravens, We're only got 14 carries against Houston this year in Week 15, and averaged just a shade under five yards a rush in the process. So, if you are someone who bashed on Bell because he had a bad start due to missing camp, then don't ignore that alleged huge impact on his statistical output now, five months later, just because it fits your argument better. So I say, fake news! Fake news. Here's another don't sign Lev storyline that you get all the time, which is also fake news, and that's go out and get an inside linebacker on the open market for that money. Can you? Can you? Who? Who's good at inside linebacker on the open market? You don't want to work out a long-term deal for Bell and have him count ten to $12 million against the cap this year, potentially because he had too much wear and tear and he'll be less productive by the end of the contract and he's been hurt too often. But you do want Navarro Bowman or Paul Puzlesny or Derek Johnson, all those guys like close to 30 or 30 or older, all with injury histories, and it's safety. You can franchise Bell, increase his salary by $2.4 million, cut Mike Mitchell and save somewhere around six, sign Kenny Vaccaro, Eric Reed, or Trey Boston for about five, and figure out how to save another million or two off your cap easily to make the numbers fit. You know, the place for Bell on the roster, slotted in, doesn't hamper Pittsburgh's ability to replace Mitchell, nor does letting Bell walk out the door somehow open the door to finding Ryan Shazier's replacement anywhere else but in the draft. Then there's the fake news about how easy it is to just win with a running back by committee. Yeah, it happened this year with the Eagles and the Pats. Philadelphia assembled a good back by committee, but... Their rookie running back in Clement contributed this year. Your guy, James Conner, really didn't do all that much. They got LaGarrett Blunt to be part of a back by committee. You tried that already, it didn't work. James White didn't contribute much as a rookie in New England. Deion Lewis wasn't added till 2015, and I think now he can leave in free agency. So you tell me, how easy is that to do really? It doesn't seem that easy or stable to me by that description. Now, Matt Williamson talked about that yesterday, and he was talking about how hard it was. Maybe we'll get that quote from Matt at some point, Matt talking about the running backs from yesterday when he was on with us. But he was saying if you're going to build a back-by committee, which is something he's a fan of, you've got to do it, but you also got to do it thinking that James Conner may not be a part of it because you don't know how healthy he is. And if he is healthy, you don't know how good he's going to be. So even somebody who's in favor of a back-by committee and is leery of giving Bell a long-term deal, as Matt is, is acknowledging that this whole, you can just pluck three running backs and shake them up in bag and throw them out there and get the same production, that's nuts, because you can't. And I just told you how hard it's been for the Steelers. They've missed on a first-round pick before. You might remember, his name was Rashard Mendenhall. Yeah, they got productivity out of nowhere with willie parker and willie parker was the kind of guy who changed games with one play then we all bitch because on a bunch of other plays he didn't get any yards so like let's be even in our analysis here when it comes to bell and i will i will revert back to a point that i made in print in the trib on monday and i said here on the air yesterday if he had signed that deal last year would you be mad if he had actually signed that piece of paper and taken a deal that, in essence, would have kept him here for $42 million and three years, if he'd been okay with the guarantee language, because that's what they are trying to do. I mean, I-, I can understand why being a running back makes Bell antsy, makes him leery, makes him not want to trust the organization, doesn't want to trust any organization, because you can cut me at any time. I get that. But it's clear the Steelers want to keep him here for at least this year, after last year, and 2019. So, you know, knowing that, if the Steelers had committed themselves, and it would have been a commitment to Bell for three years, would you be mad if he was on the books this year, 2018, and 2019? I don't think you would. Because you'd be ten times less mad at him because he would have showed up for camp, and he wouldn't have had the slow start as a result. You'd be mad about how he handled himself Jacksonville week. That would remain sure. I get that, but the I think so much of the analysis of people saying that Bell should go beyond the fake news stuff. Beyond fake all that, news. Yes. That aside, I think the reason why we're having such an intense in-depth discussion about whether it's worth it to keep Lev Bell or not is rooted in the fact that we're mad at him. Is rooted in the fact that we don't like him right now because how he's acted and he's coming off as greedy and what his number is going to be on the cap is something that we wouldn't pay attention to because off the top of your head, I think a lot of you out there right now don't know how much Antonio Brown counts. Why? Because he was productive. And Lev Bell was more productive than we're choosing to remember right now because we still have to see them pay him. It's not your money. It's your team as a fan, but it's not your money. It's their money. They can afford to pay him and they can also afford to get him under the cap. So at least one more year of Le'Veon Bell makes sense. And if you want to say that he shouldn't be here because he's too much of a pain in the ass and you're mad about how he handled himself and you think he's a suspension risk or is an injury risk for this specific year okay i'll listen i'll disagree but i'll listen and i'll understand but let's not make up facts let's not fake news this just to fit our argument that's my plea moving forward for what could be still another six months of this or five months five months five months of this roughly no actually six (laughs) it could go all the way to basically september right So we could be doing this still with Lev Bell for another six to seven months, and we're going to keep manufacturing stats and manufacturing stories and making up things to fit our arguments, but we don't have to. You can just say, I don't like him, and I don't want them to sign him. I'll disagree, but okay but let's not manipulate storylines and facts and things of that sort just to make him look worse in the process because you might be mad at yourself next year when he's still on the team and you're cheering for him at Heinz Field because he's racking up another 1,260-something yards and you're in the playoffs again. So agree or disagree, 412-922-2874. You can also tweet me, at Tim Benz, PGH. We'll get to that clip from Matt Williamson about the back-by-committee thing. Josh Getzoff is going to join us in this hour to talk about the pittsburgh penguins as well uh we've got some more talk about the um well that direct tv story that we just sort of threw in at the end yesterday is really interesting to me as it relates to football fans and how much you're willing to pay for the game of football we'll get to all that i gotta mix in pirates when we come back to lance Lysowski at six but uh when we come back we have to talk about the address from bob nutting to the team and some of the ridiculous statements that came from the pirates about the pace of play of baseball games We'll do that, too, when we come back. Tim in for Adam. Fake news. All right, back in for Adam. Tim here with you. Uh, Mike DiCorsi coming up in the second hour of the show. Josh gets off at about 4.40. Uh, Josh and I will uh, talk some Penguins hockey. Eli Rogers from our conversation over the weekend on SNR and ESPN Pittsburgh in the 6 o'clock hour along with Lance Leisowski. I'll be talking college hockey tonight. With Derek Schooley on the Derek Schooley Show down at the hangar in Moon Township at 7 o'clock. So, packed day for me today. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about the fake news that's out there for Lev Bell. And some of the misinformation, disinformation, incorrect information, uh, overreaction, hysteria, hyperbole, and things that are going on. It, it, it's as simple as this. If they get him on the franchise tag and he plays well, it's worth it. And uh, you could agree or disagree, but just do it with a grain of truth as to why you're making the argument that you are. 412-922-2874. Speaking of hyperbole, how about Francisco Cervelli today down in Bradenton? Again, I just cannot believe that he is the highest paid player for the Pittsburgh Pirates right now. It just blows my mind. But... He was asked about the new pace of play rules that we discussed yesterday. <laughs> and Cervelli, actually, the, the way that he phrased it made it funnier than anything else. Cervelli said that the reason why baseball shouldn't mess with the pace of play and put in the rules about the mound visits is tempo. He said it's a game about tempo. And sometimes you got to go out there and change the tempo up on a batter. Or sometimes you got to go out there and change the tempo up for the pitcher. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time while he's talking, yeah, tempo. That's the exact reason why they're changing the pace of play, Francisco. Don't you get it? He said it's the most ridiculous thing he's ever heard. Most ridiculous thing he's ever heard? Isn't he part of Venezuelan? Like The most ridiculous thing I've ever heard is someone kidnapping Elias Diaz's mom. That's about as ridiculous as it gets to me. Most ridiculous. Why is it ridiculous to say you want to shave a few minutes off a baseball game? Why is it ridiculous to say that you want to get the average baseball game under three hours? Average. That means three hours and two minutes under average. Three hours and three minutes under Average. Was it three hours and four, three hours and six, whatever it was? That's the average. That's not good. I mean, like, an average for baseball should be around 230, 245. For for the kind of game that baseball is, when I say should, for the kind of game baseball is, that should be the average. Anything else is just too long. And baseball is struggling as a result, but and we'll get into this with Lance Lysowski when he comes on at 6-2, you're getting blowback from catchers and managers, many of whom used to be catchers on this, because they want to feel important. They want to feel like they matter. They want to feel like they're influencing the game. And even George Contos today, who is a pirate pitcher, as you may not remember, from the trade deadline last year, and his short time before he got hurt, even he was saying that sometimes you don't want the catcher out there. And like I said yesterday, the guy who got the most mad was Garrett Cole last year about pace of play and catchers and managers coming out to talk to him. He'd go crazy every time it happened. So if the pitchers don't like it and the pitchers don't feel like they need it, then why is it so important? So the catcher feels important? You know, so every catcher feels like he's Jake Taylor from Major League or something like that? honestly it's so screw the catchers so what i don't i don't need to see them walking out to dictate terms of what the manager wants and you know that, that's like one angle to all of this when it comes to pace to play with baseball that drives me nuts is why is it so accepted that everything can stop in baseball when there's tons of stoppage time anyway like Why is baseball the only place where it's accepted to have the manager come out and delay the game to scream at the official? That's only happens in baseball. Baseball is the only game where time stands still for extended periods to the point that you have a commercial break to make a substitution. You do it on the fly in hockey. You do it during a down and a play clock running in football. Basketball, you do it during a stoppage. Before the ball is set into play, it happens so quickly you don't even notice. But you take somebody out, you put somebody in, the world stops in baseball. For a fielder, for a pitcher, for a pinch hitter. Uh, why is it acceptable that for strategy sessions, in-game, we just stop as many times as we want? The pitcher can run up the third baseline, what's the bunt sign again? What's the steal sign? Are we hitting and running? Like, you can just stop and do that. Why? Why is that okay? You know, just because there isn't a clock on the end of the game and there's a certain amount of instances that need to occur before the game ends, meaning outs, that doesn't mean that certain things don't have to be timed or there aren't limitations on other elements of the game. And this is kind of what I was getting into yesterday, especially for old-time baseball fans, that natural rub that exists between... I want the game faster like it was in my day versus don't touch the game because I'm used to having it a certain way and I fear change. Well, you can't have both. And I'm with the old timers who say that they would prefer to have the game faster like it was in their day than I am the old timers that say tradition is as tradition is and it should be left alone. So you tell me what you think on those two fronts. And I think Cervelli acted like a child today when he was asked about it. Four one two. 922 2874. And then there was the other thing that came out. And this was sort of midday yesterday, or uh, read some more quotes this morning and heard some more audio coming out from Bradenton about Bob Nutting and his address to the team. And you heard Neil Huntington sort of sum it up because Nutting didn't say anything himself, but Huntington summed up what the message was from his owner. And Huntington said that Nutting told the team that they're trying to win the 6th World Series, and that's their goal is to win, and he told the team that they're going to do everything that they can for them to, so that they can be a winning organization and a winning group of players. Okay, now, this might sound like I'm just puffing out my chest and saying something for the sake of saying something because i got a microphone, this is a hypothetical that would never happen. I would have said, no, you're not. Uh, honest to God, I would have. If I was David Freeze. If I was Josh Harrison, if I was Francisco Cervelli, or Starling Marte, Starling Marte and Greg Polanco, just didn't understand what he was saying. But if I were those guys and I did understand what, they, what he was saying, I would have said, no, you're not. And I've said stuff like that in meetings here when I was a full-time employee. I've said that in meetings in Boston when I was a full-time employee. Um, I'm not quite a full-time employee yet at the Trib, but I will there when they say stuff like that, and I don't think that, I, that they mean it. Because I hate that. I hate being lied to. Because what would you have done? I mean, you tell me. If you were a pirate player and you heard that from Nutting, would you have stood up and said something? I'm not saying like if you're a quad A guy, somebody that could be sent up or sent down, somebody who's a double A kid who's trying to get promoted to triple A so he could be with the team. No, you don't want to make yourself out to be a cancer, but we're talking about Major League Baseball veteran contract guys. That's who I'm talking about. Wouldn't you have said back to the owner, no, you're not, because I would have. Because what that owner is then saying there is, we feel like we've done everything that we can to put you in the best position possible to win. And if you don't, it's your fault, because this is how we think we are doing our jobs properly. And when I've gotten mad as an employee in situations like that, and boy, has been a few times... At many places where I've worked. I've said back to management when they say things to that effect. No, you're not doing the best job possible. You're making me have to work harder and hold the bag when some of your decisions, many of which often are cost-cutting, get in the way of doing my job well. And if I'm Francisco Cervelli or Starling Marte or Gregory Polanco in whatever language, or Mercer or Harrison or Freeze in English... I would, say, I would have said back to them in that situation, what are you going to do, cut me? i got a guaranteed contract. You're paying me. You want to trade me? Good. I'll go somewhere and have a chance to win. But don't tell me and don't tell us that by trading away our best offensive player and trading away a guy who would be on our rotation and maybe our best starter... That by giving those guys away, for a bunch of guys who may not be on the roster for most of the year, who have never been established major league players, you are not doing the best job possible to put us in a position to win. And and there would have been nothing wrong with that. You could view that as being insubordinate, you can consider that being out of line, but I disagree. I actually think that's very much within the players' rights, and... Uh, based on the collectively bargained contract that they have, it's like you're being dared to do it. And I would have taken them up in the dare. You know, because it's it's one thing to do that to your manager and then have to be in the same clubhouse with him 162 days. It's one thing to say that to the general manager and know that he could send you to Tampa or Florida and make it worse just because he's pissed. But that guy, that owner, how often is he around? You're not going to have to interact with him. Tell him. Tell him what you think. Because you're being lied to. As an employee, you are being misinformed, and you are being sold a false bill of goods. Furthermore, you are being told then that this team, in their eyes, has been placed in a position where it should be able to do its job, and if you don't do yours, then it's on you. Don't tell me that when I know it's not true. Don't tell me that it's sunny and 80 outside when it's snowing on my head. And that's kind of... So they're not just doing it to us in the media, or you in the fan base, they're doing it to their own guys. 412-922-2874. And, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time, I just spent a lot of time talking about Lev Bell, or Antonio Brown throwing a Gatorade cooler and filming Facebook Live while Mike Tomlin was talking. Martavis Bryant acting up multiple times. We've spent way too much time in this city this year talking about being insubordinate and not honoring the respect of the coach or ownership yeah unfortunately this has been a real storyline but in a situation like that i think a little insubordination is called for or a little galvanizing of the players and who they are and what they are like you know again to use the major league reference i don't know if you want to have a cardboard cutout of bob nutting and strip off his clothes with every win that might be counterproductive i'd want him to keep on as many clothes as possible But whatever it takes for them to do the us against the management routine, uh, I'm in favor for. I'm in favor of. They should do it. And if that means griping back when they're being told one thing and they know it's false, so be it. When we come back, we'll talk a little Penguins hockey with Josh Getzoff. Penguins play-by-play, man. You can hear him on 105.9 The X. He also has the Mike Sullivan Show tomorrow. So we'll talk about the Pens approach the deadline. Grabner, Broussard, Letestu. Pajot, all these other names that you've heard, the likelihood of these players coming here is what and how much will it help them win another Stanley Cup? We discuss all that with Josh when we come back. Tim Benzin for Adam. I don't know why Joe thinks that dream this that dream is so strange. I had the same one last night. Just saw this from Buster only. That's why I was stumbling a bit there, because this is right on the heels of exactly what I was saying. Uh, Buster Olney Total speculation here With Colin Moran slotted to play third base for the Pirates Maybe David Freese might make some sense for the Yankees four two $42.5 million this year uh, Could play third base and first base Had a three sixty eight on base percentage last year for Pittsburgh uh, Yeah, another reason why i try to drive myself out of town I'd pull a James Harrison if I'm David Freese And just pout my way to the Yankees Yeah, I'd do that all right, speaking of trades, let's get to Josh Getzoff from the Pittsburgh Penguins radio broadcast team. He joins me right now, Tim, and for Adam here on ESPN Pittsburgh. All right, uh, Josh, let's start things off first and foremost with the uh, trade deadline talk. It's all the speculation. It's all the wonder. What do you think is going to happen? Is Pittsburgh still poised to make a move or the Pens playing so well now they don't see the need?
1: That's a great question, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me on. I think when you look at what the Penguins have done the last couple of years, Jim Rutherford has really made his M.O. as making the right moves and not necessarily the boldest ones in the sense of a couple of years ago you look at him analyzing the team and saying they need to get faster, getting a Trevor Daly, getting a Carl Haglund, picking up, uh, Justin Schultz just prior to the deadline, and we all know what he's morphed into. Uh, and then last year, there was relative quiet uh, on the Penguins' front, getting Ron Hainsey and Mark Streit, who ended up being pretty too, or two pretty dependable guys, obviously more so Hainsey than Streit, down the stretch for the Penguins and winning the Cup last year. So I think when you look at how the team is playing right now, that has to factor into it. They've been a totally different team in 2018. Uh, aside from Patrick Hornquist and Tom Kunach's recent injuries, they've also been a lot healthier, especially up front, Uh, and I think that's allowed Mike Sullivan to get a little bit of rhythm with his forward unit and also be able to roll four lines, which he really hasn't been able to do up until the last couple of months consistently with this Penguins team. Now, with that being said, there are some appetizing names out there, and I I think it would be foolish to not think that Jim Rutherford is not looking directly at some of those guys, and, and they're the names that we've heard, constantly over the last couple of weeks. But I think the the issue, as you know just as well as I do, is the Penguins are a team that's gonna be right up against the cap here coming down the stretch and they're not going to be able to really add a big name or a expensive name without subtracting a current one from their roster. And you don't know how that's gonna jive in the locker room, you don't know how that's gonna jive in the long term. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I think that there are a lot of things up in the air as far as them making a deal, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't always look at, especially with what Jim Rutherford's done in season the last couple of years, I don't necessarily expect or have any prediction that it's going to be a massive move with a big name coming here.
0: Well, Broussard would be a big name, and that's the one that everybody's talking about. Is that an overrated target, in your opinion?
1: No, I think, you know, Derek Broussard's a great player. And when you look at the Penguins, as well as Riley Sham plays, has played, I should say. We've said, I know I've talked to you about this, talked to a lot of people about this, that if Riley Shams, your fourth-line center, when you enter the Stanley Cup playoffs, you're going to be a pretty darn tough team to beat uh, up da- down the middle. And if that third-line center is Derek Brassard, it makes it even more difficult when you think about the possibilities they'd have. But, you know, Broussard is a guy who's, I believe, also under contract next year. So he's not a true rental and that potentially could have some after effects with the Penguins this summer. You look at some of the guys they're going to have to deal with, namely Patrick Hornquist, uh, but Riley Shan's also a restricted free agent. They have some other guys in there they're going to have to make financial decisions on, namely Brian Russ, uh, who's going to be owed a big payday. So you bring in a contract like Brassard, there is an after effect to that in the immediate future with the team. Now, if Jim Rutherford can find a way to make it work, which I have no doubt he's trying to do, if he can swing a deal for Broussard, then the Penguins vault to the top. I mean, there's no team that's deeper than them up front. Their defense has been way better here in the 2018 calendar year, and Matt Murray seems to have found his stride. So uh, Broussard is is an acquisition that I think puts the Penguins on another level. But that's why I believe that a lot of people are talking about him right now, and for good reason, because of what he would bring to the table. And we've all seen firsthand uh, what he could do in the playoffs because he's done it so often against the Penguins over the last few years.
0: Is Grabner being talked about because he would be a target for Pittsburgh in and of himself, or would he be brought here to offset Sherry being traded in terms of a salary dump to bring somebody in like Broussard?
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was saying earlier. I feel like if they make a trade, Tim, that uh, Connor Sherry, unfortunately, is probably going to be a guy that might be involved in it or potentially uh, is going to be rumored to be involved in it just because he has the term and the contract right now with the Penguins. And, you know, it's unfortunate because when you sign a contract with an organization, you do that because you want to be a part of the, the future and the solution with the group. But uh, that's obviously been the unfortunate situation for him because he's fallen into a lot of these rumors because when you look at the forwards and you look at the Penguins and how deep they are on the wing, there's an opportunity to potentially move him. And, you know, Michael Grabner a, a trendy name because he is, Exactly the kind of winger that would work with Sidney Crosby, I think. A, a speedy wing. I know seven of his goals have been shot into an empty net this year, but we've seen him firsthand. He scored a short-handed goal against the Penguins when the Rangers were in town last month. Uh, he has a ton of speed. He can kill penalties. He just would give them another option on that right wing, which is as deep as any team in the league. I think when you look at what they have when they're all healthy, uh, now you throw Zach Aston Reese into the mix, who I know has been playing more on the left side, but can also play uh, on the right as well. And it makes guys expendable when you when you're trying to add a key player here down the stretch so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if if sherry is a name that gets tossed around if there is a move to be made when it comes to adding salary uh just because of those reasons alone
0: yeah i just don't want to see grabner brassard go anywhere else because they kill the penguins
1: yeah no it's true especially especially brassard and you're right grabner has had his moments as well i just feel like It's weird to think that the Rangers are going to make a deal with the Penguins, but you know what? Last year it was kind of convoluted, but the Flyers made a deal with the Penguins with Mark Streit uh, coming here. I know Tampa was the middleman there, but that was a little fishy with how it all went down. So I think that you you look at it, and and there's always a possibility. And with those names, I mean, you can understand why the Penguins would be interested in both and and some others out there as well.
0: Being joined by Josh Getzoff, play-by-play voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins on 105.9 The X. You've got the Mike Sullivan show tomorrow on The X, right, Josh? that is correct who enjoys doing the show more rutherford or sullivan
1: <laughs> let me rephrase uh, who,
0: who enjoys doing the show less rutherford or sullivan
1: <laughs> depends on uh, what day of the week uh and depends on the result of the most previous game i will say this: both of those guys are extremely gracious with their time to sit down with me every other week because they are busy uh as mike sullivan always jokes he, he always wants to do his his regular job at some point during the day which is coaching uh the team so Uh, You know, he he obviously has been extremely gracious at this time. Jim Rutherford's been very forthcoming when I've talked with him as well uh, about anything and everything under the sun with this team. As far as who enjoys it more, I'm going to give it a push, and I know that's the cop-out answer that you're not looking for, but I think both of those guys uh, are at the same level of excitement when they sit down because they can't wait to spill all the beans to me. That's
0: a very positively spun way there, Josh. Good play by you. (laughs) Good good dump into the corner by you. Um, Let's... (laughs) I wanted you. You mentioned time there, and I wanted to focus on that for just a second because there's so much talk earlier in the season. It was quite the narrative that the Penguins aren't playing well because they're tired, and I never bought into that because that was just a self defeating thing. It was one of those deals where you know if you set it up like that, at some point you're going to be right if they don't win the cup. Well, they, eventually they just didn't win the cup because they're tired. Well, you know if they were too tired earlier, that it would have been flat out exhausted by now, and here they are playing their best hockey. Did everybody else get more tired more quickly? Like, their level of tired and they're just better again? Because I think this kind of proves that it was less about fatigue and it was more about inconsistent play than it was anything else.
1: Absolutely. That's what I think it was. It was inconsistency and it was maddening inconsistency with this team. I mean, even if you look back two months ago, I think around Christmas, they played Columbus in a couple of games, and both of those games were real emotional comebacks, shootout wins. And I think the next game in both, they, if I'm not mistaken, I know one of them, they got shut out against Anaheim right before Christmas. And the other one, they lost as well. I can't remember if it was a shutout. So, uh, both of those games, <clears throat> excuse me, were on home ice. And, and it just weren't, they weren't the responses you were hoping for from a team that has continuously shown resilience in their game under Mike Sullivan so I think that the inconsistency was is the best way to describe it through the first half of the uh, season and you know the Penguins have been asked time and time again about flipping the switch and if that is a, a real thing and they really have never I haven't heard a guy come out and use that exact line but I don't know what else you can really call it and I you know I never played in the league so it's hard for me to gauge it from a player's perspective but I think when you look at what these guys have done the last couple of years, and Mike Sullivan has continuously preached the process of trending upwards as the month progress, months progress. And in this time of the year, you want to be make sure, making sure you're hitting your second stride to come into March, to hit your third stride into April and then playing your best in the middle of April into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the Penguins have been able to do that each of the last couple of years, particularly riding really, really strong marches each of the last two years in the playoffs that have kind of shot them up the standings. Now, they've had a pretty good February, so uh, that bodes well based on how they've played in March the last couple of seasons, and for that matter, this whole calendar year has been really good. I believe they're 16-4-1. So uh, is it a matter of a flipping of the switch? I don't know any other way to describe it, because I feel like the group understands the urgency needs to be there now, and to their credit, and it does start at the top with how the big guns have been playing and it kind of trickles down to all the uh, depth that's produced here recently. And you, you get some fresh legs in there that maybe haven't consistently given you a jolt in Dominic Simone and uh, JSB at times, but when they did score, when they came up with points for this team, they were significant goals. And then Zach Aston Reese has obviously been a spark here recently, and it shouldn't be lost on anyone, the, the performances in times of need by Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith. I think those things are rallying points from this for this team when – they, you know, they needed to find a way to, to rally and, and kind of get themselves into gear here. And uh, those are all key moments for them to regroup and, and get rolling here down the stretch.
0: Now, have you got the call for Carolina and Florida?
1: Yes, I'll be down there for both games.
0: Okay, so while you're in the broadcast booth for both those games, by the time they get back on the ice on Friday, will Kunako, Hornquist, and Schultz all be back or no?
1: I think Schultz probably will be back. He practiced in full today, said he just had an illness that kind of came out of nowhere, and that's what took him out of that back-to-back over the weekend. Uh, as far as Hornquist, he looks like he's getting close. Uh, I was at practice today, and he skated before the team, uh, went through a full workout, did not practice with the team. And Mike Sullivan's usually a stickler about getting one practice in with the team before getting back in the lineup. So I would think if we don't see him out there with the team on Thursday, Uh, then it's unlikely. Now, if we see him out there and he's in no contact on Thursday and skates uh, in the morning skate on Friday, then he's probably a good chance to to be labeled the uh, ever-famous game-time decision by Mike Sullivan for that matchup against the Hurricanes. As far as Kunako, I haven't seen him on the ice, Uh, and I don't know what his status is as far as coming back into the lineup, but I would imagine between the two it's more likely Hornquist returns sooner. I don't know if that's going to be Carolina, but he definitely seems to be trending. Uh, towards a return to the ice sooner rather than later
0: last thing josh goaltending look at jari now look at gustafson long term in about a minute or two that we got left here rutherford's bigger concern is what the high end and holding on to gustafson or the immediate future and making sure that murray has a good backup like he's had in years past with flurry going in the playoffs yeah you
1: know tristan jari has one year left uh, he's on his last year, I should say, of his entry-level deal, and then he's a restricted free agent this summer. So that's a, that's a big decision for, for Jim Rutherford as far as how to handle that. When you look at Philip Gustafson, I know his name started to be thrown out there in trade talks, and let's be honest, he had a good showing in the World Juniors, and we all know that there's a lot of media north of us that when a, t- a player plays particularly well in the World Junior Championships, They become a darling, and they become a high-level prospect. Not to take anything away from Gustafsson, he was a second-round pick. Uh, He's been playing really well in the Swedish Elite League and obviously was dynamite in the World Juniors, 14 Sweden. But I think when you look at the long term, there's a lot of hope for him, but there's also maybe a bargaining chip in the form of him as a result of that. They know what they have in Jari, and I think uh, they're pretty satisfied with him being the main guy in Wilkesbury for right now and continuing to develop. If he's on board with that, which of course is the biggest question, then I think that's the best way to approach things, is kind of keeping Jari closer to the best of the two and letting Gustafson kind of just dangle uh, for, for the moment being.
0: Josh, really do appreciate the time. Uh, What time tomorrow night for the uh, Mike Sullivan Show then? 6 o'clock, right on the X? Yep, 6 to 6.30 on the X, yep. All right, we'll talk again soon, Josh. Thank you very much. All right, Tim, thank you. All right, that's Josh Getzoff, the play-by-play voice downstairs at the X for all Penguin games. You can hear them here as well. Got college hockey coming your way at 7 o'clock. Derek Schooley shows we talk about Robert Morris from the hangar from 7 till 8 we'll get more hockey talk going for you in the second hour of the show as well all right when we come back uh, I believe I got that clip lined up for you from Matt Williamson about the running back by committee thing well we'll discuss that we'll also get into some conversation about the NFL its popularity and what you're willing to spend on it we brought this up late in the show yesterday and I wanted to give a little bit more time to breathe kind of just crammed it in at the uh, end of the show and that was the Price for direct TV. If you're a direct TV consumer, the number is going up and kind of struck me on the way home that we might have rushed through that conversation. And I wanted to flush out a little bit more just to see where people are with the NFL and how much it is still really worth to them. 412 922 2874. Any of that on the table, including the uh, left conversation we had earlier, Pirates talk as well. Tim Benson for Adam Crowley.